Welcome to Devil Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Devil Truck Stories podcast. Before he signed a letter of intent to play for UCLA, Lonzo Ball had a plan. Play one year in college, then go play for the Lakers and be the next legend to have their number retired. Who knows, maybe even a statue outside Staples Center. The plan seemed to be working out perfectly. Lonzo shined in college, and the Lakers did their part by going 26-56, and 56, setting up a draft lottery where L.A. picked second and Lonzo Ball was headed to Hollywood. A few summer games offered some flashes of brilliance, but then the season started. Time to play against the veterans and the All-Stars. Lonzo did everything that was asked of him, well, almost everything. He passed, he rebounded, but he didn't score. More importantly, it seemed that he couldn't score. Now a nervous Laker nation's only hope is to stop preaching the virtues of Ball's game and start preaching the virtue of patience. Stick around after the story for my conversation with Kevin Arnovitz as we talk about whether the crowning of Lonzo Ball is simply on hold or officially canceled. Now we present the passing fancy of Lonzo Ball. The Passing Fancy of Lonzo Ball by Kevin Arnovitz The day after the Lakers take Lonzo Ball with the second pick of June's draft, Lakers president Magic Johnson is holding court. It's the usual news conference introducing a new prospect, but this one projects a different tone. This is Johnson's first occasion as the czar of the Lakers' next golden age. The event takes place on the practice court at the team's old training facility, the last relic of the Kobe Bryant era. And it's here that Johnson tells Lonzo, I'm going to put a little pressure on you right now. Magic points to the back of the gym where the uniforms of Lakers legends, his among them, hang on the wall. We expect a ball jersey hanging up there one day, all right? Looking one part hostage, one part valedictorian, Ball sits between Johnson and Lakers general manager Rob Palinka who just the night before had declared Lonzo a transcendent talent. Ball, having foregone the traditional pressed suit in lieu of a black zip-up big baller brand hoodie, crosses his arms on the dais as he receives these compliments dispassionately but respectfully, as if he's in an HR session. I, Ball replies with a faint smile. Johnson is here to introduce Ball, but what magic, never a man to traffic an understatement, has truly introduced are the Lakers' expectations. Lonzo Ball will become a superstar, part of the Lakers' lineage of Hall of Fame talents. He will be a proper heir to Kobe Bryant, which Johnson implicitly conveys D'Angelo Russell was not. Around the NBA, there is an almost affectionate esteem for Ball's approach to basketball. He is a 20-year-old whose primary motivation in life is to find chances for teammates to score. But when insiders are asked whether Ball can meet the Lakers' expectations, their praise pivots to a series of disclaimers. Should Ball never evolve into a prolific scorer, he would have to transform into a species that's nearly extinct, the score-last all-star who relies on vision over pyrotechnics. Ball isn't a pure shooter, nor is he the type of explosive pick-and-roll point guard that's ascendant in today's NBA. Admirable as Ball's generosity might be, he carries deficiencies that, although once tolerated in point guards, are now often disqualifiers. To gain a true sense of Lonzo Ball's skill set, what you'd have to do is this. Stand on the court during a live NBA game, preferably right under the basket. 
Envelop yourself in a 360-degree view of the action in real time. And ideally, avoid being struck by the 20 arms and legs whirling around you. This is my experience on a Sunday night in November as the Lakers take on the Grizzlies at Staples Center. Or at least, it virtually is. There's a VR headset strapped to my head. It's ungodly heavy, as if a second skull has engulfed my first. But the effect is profound. Even though I never move more than six inches from my position in the next VR truck parked outside the arena. With this headset on, I'm every bit as present on the floor as Brooke Lopez or Mike Conley. Turn my head to the right and Luke Walton is a foot away, barking at official James Capers. Turn it back and Mark Gasol is headed my way as if I'm about to enter his sanctum inside the lane. In truth, the intruder on the court is Lonzo Ball, whose eyes are like searchlights surveying the expanse, watching for subtle movements by opponents that might open a seam. Everyone exists in Lonzo's field of vision. Grizzly center Brandon Wright does. He backpedals as Lonzo comes off a pick by Julius Randle in the first quarter. So do the Grizzlies' pair of helpside defenders, stunting and lurching at Lonzo as he weaves through traffic. Somehow, Lonzo appears to be watching all three before spinning clockwise as he elevates and slings a sidearm two-handed pass across his body. The pass hits Randle in the hands for a dunk. This is Ball's vision in heightened effect, where every trip down the court is an optical marvel. And to live inside it for a few hours is to gain a first-hand appreciation for how tantalizing the package is. The sight lines no person with binocular vision should rightly have. He is, in a phrase, a passing savant. But that's the thing about passers. You're only as good as your finishers. It's the first week of practice in August 2016 at UCLA, and Ball is about to endanger his Bruins teammates. In the old men's gym where John Wooden once coached and where the NBA's elite furtively play pickup all summer, the Bruins run through one of their first drills of the season, a basic pick-and-roll action with Ball at the point receiving a screen from hulking seven-foot center Thomas Welsh. The returnees have heard about Ball, who hasn't, and his playmaking exploits. He's going to make the game so easy for you, they've been told ad nauseum. But this drill marks the first time Ball's teammates will witness whether Ball the player conforms to Ball the mythology. Senior Isaac Hamilton is perched in the corner watching the sequence at the top of the floor. Ball barely uses the pick from Welsh and before he even comes off it with a clean angle, he fires through traffic to Hamilton on the weak side. Isaac almost had his head taken off remembers Tyus Edney, UCLA assistant and former point guard for the Kings, Celtics, and Pacers. He was scared. Nobody was around him, so he just caught it and didn't shoot and didn't put it on the ground. College guys just don't see those kind of passes. If you're not accustomed to precision, it can hit you upside the head. Fourteen months later, on Halloween night in Staples Center, the Lakers are leading Detroit by 13 in the third quarter when Contavious Caldwell-Pope dishes the ball just past half court to ball on the left side. Ball streaks towards the basket, only to shuttle a last-second pass while falling out of bounds towards Larry Nance Jr., perched under the weak side glass. Nance barely sees the ball as it floats through his hands. Successful NBA teams establish an acute sense of telepathy, and the Lakers are relying on Ball to cultivate it, but they'll have to learn to anticipate it, too. There's this learning process you go through, when he likes to throw it, where he likes to throw it, says Lakers center Lopez. He'll get the rebound, catch, turn, and just fire, all in one motion. 
You very, very rarely see that kind of vision and anticipation. I can't state that enough. It's such a sublime talent at that age. According to Second Spectrum, Ball ranks second in the NBA in pass-aheads, passes that travel at least 30 feet down court, trailing only James Harden. The average time Ball keeps the ball beyond the half-court line is 2.18 seconds, the fastest in the league among starting point guards with 400 touches. Those are auspicious numbers if you're building a system, as Walton aspires to do, that incorporates principles that have defined the offenses of the Warriors and the Spurs. He makes it a lot easier to have buy-in on the type of basketball we want to play here, Walton says. Without him, I'd have to change my philosophy, and I'd have to go more to a pick-and-roll game. That's fine, but what makes drafting him so nice is that he plays the way we want to play. Still, for all the success teams such as the Warriors, Spurs, and now the Celtics have achieved with an egalitarian system predicated on ball movement, these teams have done it with scoring point guards. And as much as the Lakers profess to love the way ball plays, they're looking for more. A savior for a franchise that has fallen from its seat atop the basketball world. Lonzo Ball pauses to mull the question. Do you want to be a superstar? He sits on a folding chair alongside the same practice court where Magic introduced him 20 weeks ago. It's noon on the Monday after the win over Memphis, in which Ball went 3-for-13 from the floor and 1-for-8 from behind the arc. The pause isn't because the answer is obvious or because he wants to be politic on the record. It's the pause of a man probing his identity to make sure his response conforms to his value system. What are the real-world implications of wanting to be a superstar? What are the implications of not wanting to be a superstar? Everyone else certainly wants him to be a superstar. So should he? Sure. When asked whether scoring is a prerequisite for stardom, Ball allows that it might well be. No coach is going to consign a Kyrie Irving brand of shot making to the bench. But in a game where feel is the new athleticism, there's more room at the table. You have to rebound. You have to defend, Ball says. If you're passing, it has to be a pass for a score, not just to pass. I think you can affect the game, but in the NBA I've found that you have to score a little bit just to open it up. That, however, is something Ball has struggled to do, in volume and in efficiency. Long NBA defenders have exposed weaknesses in Ball that were less apparent in the Pac-12. His deception resides in his ability to thread needles with his passes, not in changing speeds, something at which he doesn't excel and which hurts him as a penetrator. Through December 5th, he ranked 206th of 210 in effective field goal percentage in the lane per second spectrum. Says one executive who scouted ball extensively for a team that picked in the top 10 this past summer, if there's a prototype of a player who can have an immense effect without being a scorer, it's him. But half-court scoring is really important in the NBA, especially in the playoffs. Can you beat your man off the dribble when the shot clock is winding down? Can you score against a power forward on a switch? Can you shoot on the move? The answer is, we don't know. Here's a fun game to play, and one that exposes what could well be the problem with the shooting stroke of Lonzo Ball. Extend your arms in front of you, then create a triangle by touching the tips of your thumbs and index fingers to each other. Now, close your left eye. What do you see? Is the triangle still centered? If so, your right eye is dominant. Those who make a living studying the mechanics of shooting suggest that a majority of pure shooters are right-eye shooters. Clay Thompson, whose form is nearly perfect, is a prime example. 
In contrast, right-handed shooters who come across the center point of their body as they get into their shot motion tend to be left-eye dominant. Kevin Durant proves left-eye shooting isn't always catastrophic. But in the case of Ball, it might be. He circuitously loops the ball around on the way to its release point, and when he rises to shoot, his right forearm sits at a significant angle rather than vertically. When onlookers say his form is off, this is most often what they're talking about. There's some good news. Ball gets his hand underneath the ball nicely, and his control fingers, the index and middle, are well-placed. Although he takes too long to get into his motion, his release is quick. The shooting mechanics have long been a source of scrutiny, and for good reason. Among the 140 NBA players with at least 100 shots outside the paint, Ball is ranked 139th in effective field goal percentage at 35.1 per second spectrum. He's a bigger rookie Rubio, one general manager says. People like the Jason Kidd comp because Kidd couldn't shoot coming in, but Kidd exerted his will on the game physically, and he could control the game in the half court. Ball hasn't shown he can do that, even though he clearly knows what defenses are trying to do. I just don't see how he'll move the needle in terms of wins and losses unless you can get out on the break 50 times a game. Passing is not the primary goal of basketball. It's merely a means to an end. But there's something about passing that speaks to basketball's better angels. Passing is an expression of selflessness and a slick pass that defies our sense of the possible with a perfect navigation of time and space. That's basketball grace. Perhaps Magic Johnson, whose vision, size, and feel for the game compensated for his forgettable long-range stroke, sees in ball a vessel to restore his ideal of the point guard position. Over the past five years, only two players have finished inside the top 10 of an MVP vote, averaging fewer than 15 points per game. Joe Kim Noah in 2013-14, fourth, and Draymond Green in 2015-16, seventh. And it is Green who represents an interesting parallel for Ball, insofar as his contributions are less quantifiable. In 2015-16, Green scored 20 points in only 17 of his 81 games. Yet few people, be they stat heads or basketball mystics, would challenge his place on the tally. There's a collective appreciation that Green's feel for the game infuses the on-court principles that make the Warriors the Warriors. If Ball can't be the Lakers' Steph, they need him to be their Draymond. If not in mood, then certainly in substance. It's a work in progress, and so, on a November afternoon, in folding chairs on the sideline of the practice gym, Lonzo Ball and Lakers assistant Miles Simon are studying footage of Ball's bad habit of playing good basketball. Footage of Ball passing the ball too willingly. On possession after possession of a loss to Portland, in which Ball attempts only two field goals in 28 minutes, he swings the ball one or two dribbles too soon, before the big man defender even commits to him, or before the intended recipient has established a true advantage so he could maximize the touch. Impatience has long been the quintessential NBA rookie mistake. Yet remarkably, Ball's brand of playing too fast is a product of passing too readily. It's the ultimate basketball mind-bender. Ball's problem is he plays the right way too well. His teammates want him to move a few boxes, and Ball shows up with an 18-wheeler. It's Lakerland's rendition of the gift of the Magi, a lesson of generosity gone awry. Will Ball be a superstar? In the end, it might be the wrong question to ask.
Basketball's new economy doesn't leave a lot of room in the rafters for the guys who attempt only 11 shots a game. So Ball might not get that jersey on the Lakers' wall. A more likely scenario? The next jersey on that wall won't belong to Lonzo Ball, but will owe its presence to him. Excellent story. We are now joined by Kevin Arnovitz, all the way coming to us live from Los Angeles. Kevin, how are you? I'm well. How are you? Great. Thank you. Uh, I found this really interesting how, you know, with everything we hear about about the Ball family and how at the end of the day, we've learned with any other sport, whatever noise or distraction there is, good, bad, or ugly, if you can play, you can play. Like, and that's the end of the day. You have to play. You have to play. Like, you have to put the numbers up, put the wins on the board. Now, the whole question of his scoring from, like, you can refresh my and everyone else's memory. Was this an issue when he was at UCLA wondering, can this guy score in the NBA? Was that a problem? I think it's not so much can he score as is it his instinct. And the question for the NBA is, are we at a point in the league's evolution where not having an instinct to score means you can be a superstar who can carry a team to 60 wins every season. He actually shot the ball quite well at UCLA. Yes. Again, not hunting shots, but when presented with opportunities. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that's what's so polarizing about him, not as as a personality, but this idea of what constitutes superstardom. I mean, what constitutes a franchise player in this day and age when, you know, being a point guard who averages, let's say, Lonzo Ball is a 14-point, 11-assist, 7-rebound guy. Mm-hmm. You know, what is that portent? And I, I think that was what was so interesting is these conversations with basketball people, scouts, executives, people around the league. And you ask them about Lonzo over the summer. And, oh, they swoon because he's this credit to the game. I mean, this is a guy who wakes up in the morning and says, hmm, how do I get the ball to my teammates? He personifies everything we're taught in a romantic sense of what the game should be. We talk about unselfishness. He's the embodiment of unselfishness. And yet, so after this monologue people will give you about how much they love and admire his game, you then follow up with the next question, which is, well, is he a superstar? I mean, will he justify the second pick? And then they take a pause and are sort of like, hmm, well, I don't know. And just the disparity between the, the, the first testimonial and the, and the reticence of the second gave me the idea for this story. Now, what's also interesting is even if you look at, for example, someone who was like, I'm just going to pass you the ball as much as possible from previous eras, like someone like a, like a John Stockton where you still saw the way that he approached the game was like, I'm going to, I'm coming after you. I'm using Carl Malone. I'm using Byron Russell. Like I'm coming after you and we're going to try to win. And then you hear about ball being the heir apparent to the next person, you know, right after Kobe Bryant. But then you also hear stories, you know, as I said, Stockton, but you hear stories about Kobe or Jordan or Iverson all heading to lose at anything. And it just seems that what I've seen personally through the UCLA season and so far that you don't get that sense that he has that drive that can you be almost too 
cool, calm, and collected to be a superstar? No, I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I, I think that's Kobe and Iverson and Jordan. That's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Tim Duncan is another way to do it. The right. guy didn't lack for competitiveness. Uh, so I've always been somebody who had a soft spot in my heart for the guys who didn't feel the need to extend their jaws and have blood dripping from their mouth to demonstrate competitiveness. <laughs> Lonzo will ever be that guy. Uh, I, I think the question is, if you go back to, to Stockton, is the nature of the NBA in 2017. I think the reason Stockton flourished is that was a league where there were a small number of isolation guys who could, quote, create for themselves. Mm-hmm. And just about everybody else, including the brilliant Carl Malone, uh, needed facilitation. People needed point guards to help them get the ball where, when, and how they wanted it. And it wasn't something they were equipped to do themselves, nor did NBA offenses really function that way. And then all of a sudden we have this explosive era, uh, kind of about 12 years ago, where the game completely changes. Mm -hmm. And Point guards are now supposed to be very – they are supposed to score. You need them to score. Uh, Big men are no longer – because post-ups we've learned are not efficient ways to score the ball. Well, then where are those newly efficient shots going to come from if not feeding the ball to a 6'10 guy with his paw up in the air uh, waiting for the ball on the low block? And so the the answer is, oh, well, it's going to come because Russell Westbrook is going to score a zillion – points a game off the dribble. It's because right. Damian Lillard is going to hide behind a screen, step back for three, James Harden, et cetera, et cetera. And so what it's done is, is it's redefined the point guard position to something that it's Steph Curry does. Well, now if you're, if Steph Curry is the paradigm, then what the hell is Lonzo ball? And I think that's the question. The answer is, is he is a completely unique non pick and roll point guard, uh, in an era where that's no longer in fashion. In some ways, he's the least fashionable point guard to come to this league in quite a number of years at this high a level. Now, do you feel that if he was drafted in like 1986, it would be a whole new ball game for him? I think it would be an easier ball game for him. I, I, I do. Uh, in some ways, it's funny. We forget that the, the league was actually fairly fast in the early mid eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was looking at some numbers recently. There were teams that played 107 possessions a game. Like the Denver Nuggets uh, teams and those kind of Doug Moe and, and Don Nelson type teams. So yeah. he is equipped to play fast. In that respect, he's very suited for today's NBA. But I think the idea of a point guard facilitator, first and foremost, um, who, who's not going to subsist on the high ball screen uh, is a much more 1985, 86 looking forward. I, I think there's a reason Magic Johnson likes him. Mm-hmm. You know, Magic was never a good shooter. No. It wasn't about that for him, and it didn't matter. And, you know, it's funny. Lonzo does a lot of the things Magic did well, well, as, you know, for himself. He, he's a good rebounder. I, I think he's going to factor to be a really good defender. The other night, I believe he had a, a couple, you know, more than two block shots. So mm-hmm. there's that. It's just what's so interesting is for all the LeVar stuff and the Laker hype machine and everything else, he's just such a fundamentally interesting riddle for the NBA in 2017 and 18. And I don't, I don't have an answer yet. I mean, he's really struggled. I don't know if that's a manifestation of the fact that he doesn't have those instincts. Ergo, he's struggling. Ergo, he's going to fail. 
or if it's a natural progression of a rookie who might not have the sort of low-hanging fruit part of his game to, to draw on in his first few months. And, but then that prompts the question, if you don't have low-hanging fruit in your game, can you be as productive as teams are going to want you to be? Right. And, well, could you also – is there also a factor here about team chemistry and not just team chemistry – but the team around him, meaning, you know, you could also argue while Lonzo Ball's uh, amazing passes can be very highlighted, but they're only as good as the people they pass it to. And will it take time for as the team grows and develops and rebuilds to develop the ability to re- of the people receiving these passes for us to see how good he really is? Yeah, and I, I think that's a big part of it. I, I think he might end up being one of these guys that he has to be with the right cast of characters Mm -hmm. where he is going to need to be with a very systematic offense that relies on motion and ball movement and where uh, his interior passing can be, uh, can be rewarded because they're, they're guys making cuts in some ways, you know, he'd be wonderful in you know, a Mike D'Antoni system though, who wouldn't Mm -hmm. uh, where if you have Sean Marion circa 2006 cutting along the baseline, Oh wow. would I'd like to see Lonzo find him where he can probe a little more. I I think I wanted to be a more confident prober. And I think much of that is dependent on, okay, well, if I get into trouble inside probing among the trees, you know, is there a, is there a, are there a couple of wings out there on the perimeter I can get the ball to and, and, and make the defense pay for converging on me? You know, is there somewhere else I can go with these passes? It's an interesting cast of characters in Los Angeles because you know, Brandon Ingram, whose game I, I think is really growing, but you know, he's, a, he's a straight-line driver. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. not a, you know, he's not a system guy. He's an ISO guy. And is that conducive to, or not so much conducive, does it complement Lonzo? Not really. No, I, I think it could. I think Luke Walton is creative. I, I think they'll figure some stuff out. But but it might end up being a way to say, I almost see like, you know, I, I think he could be an exceptionally important piece to a kind of all offensively versatile team with skilled players at every position. And now the ball pops around the way it might in kind of 2013, 2014 San Antonio. Like, I, I think there's, He's going to need to precipitate in a, in a half-court system that can be bolstered, of course, because I think he's going to be one of the best transition point guards in the league. I mean, he's already really good as yeah. a transition point, as a pass-ahead point guard um, who knows where to – and guys love playing with him. I mean, it was interesting. I mean, you can always tell when you know teammates for a, a feature profile on a player are kind of just feeding you the, the lines. I, I, think, I think these guys have a legitimate appreciation for how he can – how he finds them yep. in optimal positions. I, I really do. Now, will it translate into wins or losses? I don't know. If it doesn't translate to a lot of wins, will that appreciation diminish? Probably. So, <laughs> But I think for the time being, in a vacuum, I think there's a lot of appreciation for what he does. Now, on one side of this, he is he's 19 years old, and he's coming up off a 36-game season with UCLA as his you know, major national, like outside of whatever he did on the AU circuit, like that's is, is what it is for everybody. But once you really narrow it down and you've got the guys that do make it and are playing college and he had 36 games in college, but now they're talking about how Luke Walton says, I'm not going to touch his shot until after. 
What I'm saying is he doesn't really have a lot of experience under his belt, despite what the pressure is on him. But the other side of it is there's still time to work on it. But also, could you argue, is it sort of like when Tim Tebow, suddenly everyone's like, well, you're not going to do be an NFL quarterback, Tim, because your mechanics are wrong. And he decided to throw change his whole throwing motion in the weeks up to the draft. But at the same time, now Luke Walton is, is hinting that, well, maybe we'll do that in the offseason, try to change his shot. Does that happen enough that it can be fixed? Well, by definition, few rookies come into the league with, with all that much experience. The college game, you know, as you mentioned, has such a shorter schedule. Um, mechanically, I, I, I think there are issues. I don't. I think they're they're overblown. Mm-hmm. Like I actually think there, there there's some integrity to the shot. There are definitely things he, he needs to work out. But I don't, I don't know. And, and Lavar's defiance is, is a little bit ridiculous. But I, I don't think this is major reconstructive surgery. Right. And and also, I, I think it's it's not unusual. I mean, he shot exceptionally well. Now, granted, it was it was you know, the college three, but he shot really well in college. Yeah. So, um, you know, th- there's precedent here. And I, I so I, I don't look I, to your point the, the you know, the thing you said that was obviously key is he's 19 years old. Mm-hmm. I, I think if he'd gone eighth rather than second. We wouldn't have these conversations. I think if he had gone to a mid-major market, we wouldn't be having these conversations. We'd look at a guy who's sort of sniffing triple doubles, you know, once a week and lauding that, okay, there, there's some Rondo-esque qualities to his limitations, but wow, what an interesting player for our times and a bit unconventional, but will become more conventional. Hey, look, Jason Kidd learned to shoot. And, you know, that's been the obvious analog, but it, you know, I, I don't I don't think this is a major reconstructive product. I, I think the question is, is he a 10 year starter mm-hmm. uh, along the lines of an Andre Miller in this league? Or is he going to be, you know, justify the number two pick? And what do the Los Angeles Lakers want? What do they need? What are their expectations? I mean, in some ways, I feel badly that he joined a franchise that is, you know, so that has sort of in some ways written the drawn up the blueprint for what it is to be a superstar NBA player. It's a star driven market. Uh, they, they, they have this big restoration plan. They have brought in magic Johnson and magic as, as, as we read in the story, you know, points to the wall the day they have the first press conference and says, we want you to have a Jersey up there. Right. And that is an extraordinary request. I don't care if you're the number one, number two, number three, or number 30th pick in the first round. It's an extraordinary request. Uh, I, I'm sure it was done pointedly. He wants to put pressure on, on Lonzo and you know, he's magic Johnson. He's in, I, I, I trust his instincts to some degree. Uh, and, and he wants to challenge him and they want a point guard with that sort of constitution, a point guard who wouldn't be intimidated by that, by that decree, but would welcome it. But it is going to be interesting to see because it, I, I think it's going to be a slower evolution or not so much slower as more gradual. And is there patience among the fan base, among management in Lakerland, among ownership in Lakerland, among, you know, just a league that wants instant gratification that, that's watching Donovan Mitchell pick, you know, a dozen spots behind, you know, light it up and, and provide the sort of combo guard experience that I think teams are looking for when they're trying to rebuild. Right. And they, and you mentioned, you know, the Jersey and Kobe Bryant up there and all that. But then at the same time, Lonzo is doing this 
in a social media bubble this era where Kobe's first year, he averaged 7.6 points a game. He had Shaquille O'Neal, and he still talks about the playoffs that year as they call it, you know, the airball game and against the Jazz in the Western Conference semifinals. And how, you know, he went back and he worked on his shot. But it would be interesting to see Kobe Bryant have that kind of performance in a social media era. I find, do you find that part of this is the fact that the noise is a lot louder because everyone can hear it and everyone has access to contribute to it? Yeah, and he's also starting, and Kobe was sort of afforded time to come off the bench. Yeah. And uh, look, I, it's funny. I You get to be of a certain age, and you say, like, on the era of social media, and then you realize, to you and me, it's the era of social media. Mm-hmm. To them, it's just the era. Exactly. Like, right. <laughs> the fish doesn't know he's in water. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, this was um, always in there. Right. So I, I, this is just the new normal. Again, I, I think the Laker thing, I don't think LeVar has helped but to the extent that you feel like if you're somebody who feels that the pressure has gotten to him or mm. that, that, that it, there's been undue scrutiny on him. But, um, I mean, I, it, I, it's, these are fun exercises to play. Like, you know, the fact that Jordan never won until X, like, you know, the way, would he have heard it the way LeBron heard it for years before he finally won? Right. Uh, you know, it, it, these these are fun exercises to play. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think they handled Kobe beautifully back then. I mean, again, he was he was coming off the bench. I, you know, he was this guy they traded for it. You know, to Charlotte, like it, it was it was a. I don't remember Kobe being named from day one the heir apparent to the Showtime Lakers, the guy who was going to completely kind of redraw the franchise's exactly. fortunes. So, I mean, some of this is social media generated some of it is los angeles laker generated and, and again they have every they have every right to expect the guy they drafted number two to have a jersey on the wall in el segundo i mean that that's that's a reasonable expectation now do you articulate it it's a different conversation but i think they're well within their rights to now here's uh, my final question where do you see the lakers and ball in five years are they winning are they both together I think in five years, probably. I mean, you know, the, the one asterisk you could say is, look, if it turned out that there was a superstar who wanted in Los Angeles, it needed to be a sign and trade or some sort of a Chris Paul situation where, okay, mm-hmm. we need to send stuff out. You know, would Lonzo ever be untouchable uh, or, or touchable? Sure, of course. I mean, by and large, I think they're a franchise that eventually is going to nail like hidden free agency just by mm-hmm. virtue of market destination, you know, magic. Yeah. The magic thing will be huge. Yeah. The golden aura that surrounds the, the history, which I don't think is as in, I don't think the current day athlete is as, is, is as impressionable about that because mm-hmm. a lot of guys didn't grow up with the Lakers being all that successful. Right. But, um, or have very short memories of 2010, which is literally eight years ago. But, um, I do think at some point just, the probabilities say they will nail a top 10 free agent, maybe mm-hmm. even two. And now Lonzo does have that supporting cast we discussed where, you know, he doesn't need to do anything but facilitate. And, you know, okay, and, and by the way, defenses are so drawn to those other players that when the ball is reversed to Lonzo, well, he's, you know, he's actually quite athletic and, and he can find shots for himself that are, you know, high value, low pressure, not all that defended. And so he's going to be fine. 
And that would be my most likely scenario. And again, I might err on the side of this guy's going to be a wonderful 12-year starter in this league. Might not make an all-star game in the in the Western Conference. And God, guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. If you have Andre Miller's career, mm-hmm. like that's a damn good career. Yeah. And by the way, if you have Jason Kidd's career, fantastic. Like that would be wonderful for Lonzo Ball. And I'll root for it because I generally think he is a selfless, I think he's a good kid. And I, I'd love for that to be the outcome. Uh, but I don't think there's anything wrong with having Andre Miller's career, if that's your thing. And again, I don't think they share many properties as players, but I, I just think a, a career starting point guard on some good teams that consistently found shots for other guys and, and did it well, um, it, it, you know, and, you know, without much negative consequence. So to your point, then, maybe there's some jerseys on the wall, but they don't say ball, but they're because of ball. Right, and I think that's kind of how I finish the story. Is is yeah, he might get a jersey on that wall. It might not be his. It might be somebody else who, you know, used or, or so much benefited from playing with Lonzo and, and owes much of his success to Lonzo. Well, I'm sure we're going to be talking about his career uh, as we have already, game by game by game. But uh, thank you, Kevin, for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. All right, take care. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to Devil Truck Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories Podcasts.